Welcome to the Mormon Mompreneur Podcast. Mormon Mompreneur is a home for women of faith who desire to be strengthened in motherhood and empowered in business. We thrive off of talking with other women with unique experiences and vision who have felt guided by the divine to bring about remarkable things at home and abroad. Welcome back to the Mormon Mompreneur Podcast. This is Sarah, your host for today, and I am thrilled to be sitting across Skype with one of my heroes. She's been a hero of mine for a couple of years, and I love the fact that I get this chance to talk with Angela Valentine. Angela is the founder of Mormon Women Stand. Her daily life, in fact, is all about protecting families and helping Mormon women be more faithful and bold in our testimonies and being positive about our testimonies and the things that we know to be true. So Mormon Women Stand is a collaborative online effort to join like-minded female members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who share a desire to make a public stand as witnesses of Jesus Christ and support the family, a proclamation to the world. They believe standing together reflects the divine nature and power with which LDS women are endowed to influence others for good. We unequivocally sustain the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, commissioned by God and sustained as prophets, seers, and revelators, and support how the Lord has delegated priesthood authority to organize and administer the gospel among all of his children. Angela, this is a big deal. You are involved in some pretty impressive things. Now, I know that our listeners simply just want to hear from you. They're tired of me talking and they're ready to hear about you and what your life looks like because I'm not sure they know what your day-to-day life involves. So the things that I love to kind of introduce to them is that you are part of these two sort of groups or organizations. The first is Mormon Women Stand, and we'll talk about those. And the other one is United Families International. So let's start with the very first one. First, welcome, welcome, and let's dive into the birth of Mormon Women Stand. Sure. Well, my husband and I were living in New Zealand, and we had had an experience about um, joining the family in New Zealand Parliament. Um, in which it really solidified our testimonies on the family proclamation. And um, it's a whole other story in and of itself, and I don't know if there's really the time or the space to discuss what happened there, but basically we were chosen randomly to discuss the, def- the discuss our beliefs on um, the redefinition of marriage and the redefinition of adoption for children in New Zealand. And we were permanent residents at the time, and... So we went through that arduous, um, very rigorous experience of defending the family proclamation and actually reading, reading it and reading um, a lot of President Hinckley's words on on that. And my husband and I did it jointly. Um, they had doubled our time because we were a husband and wife couple, and that had never been done before in the, these parliamentary hearings. So I spoke for ten minutes, and he spoke for ten minutes, and then we were questioned. And they were at, our, at, at us questioning our beliefs and questioning why marriage was important and why family was important. 
And it was difficult. It was really felt like a miniature Abinadi moment. And it was a very harsh experience, but also full of light and truth. And it was, I definitely felt the spirit as I testified of those things. So coming back from that, I felt, I was told by family and friends that we needed to share this experience. And so I had, um, one of my dear friends has a great blog. Her name is Josh, Jocelyn Hatch. And she, I had shared her, shared with her our experience. And she's like, can I post this on my blog? And I was like, sure. And then Catherine Skaggs, who um, is a well-known, she's been a veteran blogger in the Mormon community. She got a hold of the story and she asked me to kind of re- rewrite parts of the story. And, and from that, she later on, uh, months later, she decided she came up with a very strong prompting, um, which is really her story, but uh, strong prompting to start a group of LDS women who could be together and have courage and be able to stand together on tough things, but also on the good things as well. So she said she needed a co-founder. She'd be the founder and I would be the co-founder. And so she, after the refiner's fire of speaking before New Zealand Parliament, um, she knew that I was her, her person, that I was, after you go through something like that, there's very little that can dissuade you. Um, you have to, we can talk about standing up for our, for our beliefs, but once we actually have to do it, as everybody knows, big or small, um, it really, it really solidifies things for you. And so she knew that, that I would be able to stand by, um, the family proclamation and, and, and defend the brethren and um, our church leader. So she approached me and asked me um, if I would be a co-founder and help her launch this initiative. And we thought it would be small. We, we thought, oh, what would we call it? You know, and we thought, well, it's really standing for something. And the scriptures are filled with many, many instances of people who, who stood and stand and continue to stand. And we have been told by many, many times throughout General Conference and our church leaders is to stand for something not just something, but but good things and, and valuable and honorable things. And so we decided to create Mormon Women Stand. And I I worked with her on writing the mission statement. And it was we felt like it was very inspired and it was very laser guided. So that when you click a like and when you click to follow, you know exactly that this is not a group or a community that would be in a negative or questioning spirit against the doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it would be in full support um, where, where questions are open and inspired, spiritually based questions were, were uh, of course, appropriate and everything. And so we started it. We thought it would be maybe 500 people. I know. <laughs> if Desiree you had News. any idea. <laughs> I, know. I know. So Deseret News got a hold of it and they published it and it's, it was like 10,000 people, and, and Tad Walsh from the Deseret News called me up from New Zealand, and he's like, can I talk to you about this parliament thing? Like, what you guys do? You, that's crazy. And and then um, we watched the numbers just grow and grow and grow, and now we're at 50,000. And and it just keeps growing every day, and we have tons of new initiatives. Um, we have an exciting year coming up where we're revamping and redoing a ton of cool things. And we're going to be letting Mormon women speak and have their voices heard because the voices of the world are becoming louder and more shrill. So we are launching a new initiative. Um, part of that is Mormon women speak and then, um, and then Mormon youth stand. So there's some cool things happening. So 
crazy, but we love it. It's, it's important to stand with and for the brethren and the doctrine. This is just amazing. I mean, you talked about growing to 50,000 and you talk about going to parliament and now you're talking about Mormon women speak and, and I've just got goosebumps on what the Lord has provided for you because of listening to those promptings and saying, we are going to do this. And I have no doubt that it was not by random that you were chosen to speak in New Zealand, obviously as members of the church, we don't believe in a whole lot of random things going on. <laughs> and no. this has exploded into something just amazing. And what do you feel like is so appealing to Mormon women about Mormon women stand? Because I remember when I found you, it was, I wish I could say exactly which year. I know I've been a fan for years, but it was, it was general conference time. And it was at a time in which uh, there was challenging controversy happening with the church. And I was feeling rather alone in my beliefs as a Mormon woman and feeling like I, I almost didn't have anyone besides my wonderful sisters that that wanted to follow maybe as strictly some of the things I felt important. And that is when I found Mormon Women Stand was right around general conference time. And I cannot tell you how many times I've been on my Facebook feed and something has popped up that you have published, whether it's about... Um, you know, same gender attraction or whether it's about um, supporting our brethren or, you know, about Julie Beck talking or, you know, all these different things that you really have inspired at least one person. And yet I know there are 49,999 more women who are seeing what you're doing. And what do you think beyond my little small experience with General Conference and finding you is so appealing about what you've created? Well, I think part of it is we have a group of about a dozen admins who work behind the scenes and blog from many different locations and many different life experiences. And so, and yet they all, all stand strong and they're all, all different. And I think that whatever, what, whatever admin writes according to her beliefs and or her convictions on what she feels prompted to write about or what she's concerned about or, or whatnot. Um, I think that that, adds a measure of diversity in the conversation. Uh, diversity in, in, in approaches and the ways of saying things, but, but certainly orthodoxy in, in the positive sense in that it all goes towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in a broader sense, we have had, I can't even equate, I, I don't know how many comments that have come on our blog posts and on our Facebook page that have said, I don't feel alone anymore. I feel like there are loud voices that are in a minority that seem to drown out the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the, and the strength of women and the power that women have. And, and so much of it, I, I think the, the power in it is that we are not and we have not allowed it to be diluted. I know that there are blogs, many out there, that start off really strong. And then there will be something that just gets slipped in that is just enough truth to make it sound right, but then there will be something flipped in that will they'll be like, well, I don't quite agree with the brethren on this topic, but I, I'm trying, you know, I, I, I like everything else, you know. And we have protected that very, very fiercely. We, we, we allow for engagement. However, comma, <laughs> I will say 
that on our Facebook page, we protect our readers. We protect our followers in that we do not allow for contentious debate. And we have shifts where we all take a shift and we watch the page. So there will be those from all over the world um, in our faith and without our faith um, who will oftentimes try to share alternate belief systems in the context, trying to fit it in somehow into the context of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's more of a yeah, but discipleship. We remove those ones because we absolutely have to protect the integrity of it being a safe haven for women um, to be able to stand and not stand alone and not feel that they're going to get beat up online for defending their faith and saying, yes, I believe that gender is eternal and that marriage is only between a man and a woman and all those tough things. And um, it just gives them that space and that so they just don't feel alone. And we have people from all over the world that sometimes are the only ones in their little town or in their country that they they just feel alone and they can come here and be like, oh my gosh, I'm not the only one alone. And so I think that's that's huge is we gather. It's a gathering place for like-minded women. And that means everybody can come, everybody can come. But know that um, peddling things that are against church doctrine or sneaking in (laughs) false ideologies from the world um, are not are not okay. We have to protect that, and so that's I think that's the appeal, and that's why it's grown. It's it's definitely grown. I love seeing how you have such a clear purpose and a clear mission for what Mormon Women Stand should feel like and look like, and I think any entrepreneur listening knows that it's just as important for Mormon women stand to have that as it is their own business and their own goals and dreams and all those things. Tell me a little bit about the process of, of having, you said 12 administrators and then you've got, you know, co-founders. I have no doubt that not all those women are the same and have there been challenges in putting those women together or how have you refined that process of bringing people in to something that's very sacred and very important to you and still, making your mission move forward in the right way, even though they are so different? That is a really good question. I think, at least from my, my perspective and observing what's happened, what we've, we've had over the past three years, um, we have a private admin group um, page where we discuss things. And all of these women have been very vetted um, and proven themselves on their personal blogs. And so we've watched and we've we've seen them or we've we found them at the United Nations defending the family or whatnot. That the commonality is that they are fearless. They are so bold, but they are kind and they are good and they are sweet and they are people that you just wanna hang out with. But we do have differences of opinion on how to approach things. It's never the doctrine that we're having a difference of, of opinion on because that is a central integral part of of anything we do in the church, right? I think that what happens, and I've seen it time and time again, is we will, if there is something where we have different opinions on, we always try to bring it back. What is it? We know the doctrine. Okay, what's the doctrine? Now, what have the brethren said about this? What further light knowledge have we received on this? And how can we come together in a way that the the tone of what we're trying to do is a perfect balance of standing with civility 
And I think that's that's been important. That's been something that we have had to learn from. Um, of course, there are always bumps and bruises along the way with with um, very strong standards. We have some that are very strong, but it's also it's just a matter of of finessing things and just trying to. Oftentimes, it's it's as important as how you say something. How you say something is as important as what you say, almost. So when we bring up something, an issue, a social issue, in the in our private admin group, we all have different experiences and different insights that kind of come together. So there will be like a comment thread of 100 different comments that we have pulled together from from our own experience, and then you start to come to some kind of a resolution of okay, this is how we should proceed. And and then there's peace and it's good. And the, the beautiful thing is, is that we do not control the admins. They write what they want to write. And so, and yet we're all unified in purpose. And so we all, everybody gets an editor. Everybody has somebody look over for, for um, content and just, just grammar and the usual things and tone and see if there was anything that may need to be um, worded a little bit differently. This is such a refined process and I love that you're honest about the fact that it's a, it's a work in progress, that you've got a great variety of women and that you've learned along the way how to be more kind, how to still stand. And I'm, I'm waiting for you to come out with t-shirts that say stand with civility. I absolutely love that phrase. That's going to be my new catchphrase for when I'm on Facebook and commenting that that is the way to approach it. That feels good and peaceful to me. Now, I know everybody, I most like people too. listening I, probably know about your work in Mormon Women's Stand. And if they haven't, they need to find you on Facebook at Mormon Women's Stand. They can find uh, mormonwomensstand.com and read mm-hmm. all of these incredible contributions and just dive into uh, these like-minded women that they may not have known existed. So I hope our listeners will do that. You do have another part of your life that is so intriguing to me. Angela, if I could live a year in your shoes, uh, tell us about your, inv- you're shaking your head. She's shaking her head. <laughs> it's okay. Um, so this is, this is what I would love for you to open up about. What is United Families International and why did you just move to New York across the country and what are you doing over there? Well, um, United Families International is a well-respected um, organization. It's an NGO, which for in the international world, it's an NGO is a nonprofit government or sorry, non-governmental organization that basically does grassroots and it does a lot what governments necessarily can't do on the ground. Like there's no bureaucracy; you can just get in and go to work. And that's why NGOs are so important. In fact, NGOs do a ton of work at the United Nations. And so United Families International was started, I'm guessing, it was started about 30 plus years ago from a warrior of a woman named Susan Roy Lance. And if she, she is one to really um, give the credit for for this. She was a pioneer. She's basically a pioneer at the United Nations for as far as... LDS women go. She was on the ground there um, well before any of us got there and she had been fighting it for fighting the attacks on the family and trying to get the family into public policy and and international policy there for many, many years. Um, And so United Families International is, like I said, very well respected, very, um, it's great. It has, 
it's right now it's the board of directors are all LDS actually, and they come from really amazing backgrounds. Some are BYU professors, um, others are law and and, and so forth. Um, but there are incredible incredible leaders um, who are, are in charge of public policy, and we work on religious freedom. We work on defending um, parental rights and the ability of parents to make decisions for their children that they feel are good for their children. We work on uh, protecting life and um, and certainly not at all for abortion rights in that. Um, and marriage, marriage, marriage and family. So those are the those are the respects that we we work on. And so what happens is there is a team of us who basically defend the family in the halls of the United Nations. And I have only been doing the United Nations work for, this is for about three years. And it's every time, I remember walking into the UN for the first time and for the Commission on the Status of Women and looking up at those the, the tall building with all the flags from around the world and being totally out of place. I grew up on a farm in southern Alberta and in a town of 900 people. So, I mean, I was a farm girl, so this is completely not on the books for me. You and Cherry do must get along. I know, right? She's a farm girl and is like, what has happened with my life? I had no idea. I know, know, like, what happened? It's been taken over. It's been out of control. But so I remember opening for the first time, going through security and then walking across the UN plaza and then pulling open the big door into the grand hall. And I remember I started to have tears come into my eye. And it said, the minute you walk over this threshold, and the minute you get involved in this, there's no going back. This is what you will do for the rest of your life, is defending the family in the UN and elsewhere. And I remember just taking a deep breath and being like, okay, I'll do it, you know. And truly, it is like walking into the great and spacious building. There are very few women of covenant there. There are very few Latter-day Saint women at the halls, in those halls and those meetings. And we are there to be a witness. We are there to witness, essentially, the atrocities that are happening um, against the family. And generally, what happens at the UN, at least for the past 20 years, several decades, is that the UN is a window into what is going to happen. And it gives you a foreshadow of what is going to happen in pop culture, in Hollywood, in the media, in your communities, and in your schools. And so as we go there, we can kind of see what will be coming and then raise a warning. And that's why we're there. Um, it used to be that we would show up, not we, but the the, organi- the pro-family organizations would show up and they would say, okay, in about 10, five to 10 years, this is what we're going to be seeing. Now we have about six months to a year lead if not right in tandem. So things are moving so fast that I think that that's why we felt very, my husband and I felt very prompted to take on the consideration of moving to New York to be closer, to be on the ground. And we, you know, we thought it would be a ridiculous idea. We never wanted to live in New York City, but we live in rural New York. So um, that was a compromise for us because we're country folk. We don't like that life necessarily. I was going to mention the reason why it's so important that we have LDS women at the United Nations is that um, what happens, people think, well, what does the United Nations do and, and why does it matter? And this is why it matters. And and this is why we all need to get involved in, in policy in our schools and in our, 
communities and everything, even though we don't know how or where to start. This is what United Families International does. We teach and we train women and men and families how to how to become involved. And we take all the difficult social issues and the things that really concern mothers and fathers, and we try to pare them down into something manageable. And this is one, like, we'll say, okay, these are three things that you can do, or here's one small thing that you can do to help. But at the United Nations, it's on that international level. And what and, and in very short terms, basically what happens is there are many different commissions, many different conferences, and in every conference there's a policy document that they call an outcome, do- outcome document or agreed conclusions. Um, that they say, okay, we've had this big conference, this is what we all agree upon. And there are ambassadors and delegations who vote um, on certain conclusions, and then they put together language that become that come into policy and what has been happening um, for decades is that uh, for lack of better words the radical radical ideas and, and individuals who may or may not be parents themselves um, have been slipping in language um, that is very destructive and very damaging to the family now there are very good there are very good things that happened at UN that 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 are good for countries that are trying to empower women and help education and and health and humanitarian and and human security and peace building and all these wonderful things but couched in everything that there possibly is in the economic and social council of the united nations which deals with anything that we deal with is with the family anything that concerns the family is in that council they always will slip in uh, incredibly egregious things that are, are, are completely um, unprecedented, um, don't have merit, have not been um, proven in past documents, have not been ratified, all of these things, and they're all anti-family, and these things that they're slipping in. So what we do is try to suggest ways to neutralize the language and help um, watch for, like we'll take a big document and say, okay, everybody take a page, see where the, the red flags may be. If you see the word gender identity, you know that's going to be a problem for, for families. If that gender identity is a new protection, well, it hasn't been. You know, that's never been something until about six, six seconds ago, you know, and <laughs> it's never before. Um, so when you see those kind of things, or you see re- reproductive health and, and sexual and reproductive health, well, that's code word for abortion. And what they do is they slip in these words, um, and then these countries have to get together, and the pro-family countries are the ones that are family-friendly, have to get together and try to pull out all these words and say, no, we're not going to do it. But they get bullied, and bullied severely, some of them, um, for, for not doing it, or intimidated, or told that they will not have humanitarian aid to their country if they do not say they want sexual orientation or gender identity in this document. Um, that's just a very general statement. There are specific stories on that, but that's, so what happens is once those documents come, come together, once they're, once they're, the stamp is on, it's what they call soft international law. It's not legal. It's not binding, but the countries kind of customarily take them on and the UN enforces them to a point. So that's why it matters because it will flow into every country, into every corner of the world where men and women of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints reside, and it will affect you. Everything comes from the UN. 
So that's a long synopsis of why it's so important. And that can, you know, that's, that's why, why we're there. Well, this is such a fantastic opportunity because I, I have been aware of your dealings in the United Nations as I've followed you and talked with those who know you. And it sounds so scary. It just scares me spitless to think about you walking in those halls and defending it. And yet I just have such deep admiration. Now, the thing that really sparked me with what you just said is our listeners can be part of it. I didn't realize that this was an avenue for them to start defending within their own country in some way the family. So that is true that they can become involved today to if this has sparked an interest in them, they can get involved through unitedfamilies.org. Yeah, exactly. And we are developing a home front series of education. So you so everybody around the world, wherever you live, you can do a cottage evening. And we're going to train you and we're going to let you, you know, we, we say long are the days, long gone are the days of casual learning in the home. Long are the, gone are the days of that. We're feeling that things are ramping up so fast that we're trying to give our viewers and our listeners and everything the tools that they need to protect their families and also bring people into their home and, and talk about these things and figure out what they can do in their own community. So every single person listening can easily become involved. And if you feel like you're intimidated and it seems too big, no, don't. It's easy. It's easy when you have the tools and anybody can do it. Anybody can. Just incredible. I just love that there, there's an action plan that these women can, can jump on board with and get involved. So just fantastic. So do you feel like Mormon Women's Stand is sort of your... Uh, over overall effort to kind of encourage and embrace women and then the United Nations is all about pr protecting family or do you feel that you have an active role even within the United States of defending family or is is the route you're taking trying to kind of cut it off at the head in the United Nations where it's happening because you know it will bleed over or do you feel like there's involvement even here within the United States oh there's definitely both um, the UN is its own microcosm, and there's just handfuls of, of LDS women there defending that. And we tell people a lot of times, like, you know, you don't have to go to the UN to make a difference. Really, we're trying to empower them here in the United States and in other countries. And so it does bleed over very much because everybody has a state legislature. They have school boards and boards of education and, and really... Mormon women need to stand in their communities. And that is what I hope to bring across in the message. Women are so needed. And there's a great, great hunger for truth and common sense in PTA meetings and school board meetings. I mean, that's where the rubber meets the road, is that that's, all these policies are showing up in people's schools. And if there are not Latter-day Saint mothers, who stand up and say, I am a mother, and this affects my children in this way, and here are some statistics that I got from unitedfamilies.org online. Um, we can help prep people. We can give them their tools to stand up and say this. If those voices are not being able to come, come to those events, even though it may be scary, bring some friends with you. You'll be fine. Um, they will be overshadowed, and I guarantee that there will be policies showing up in your schools that will blow your mind. So get involved. 
it seems to me that, you know, Gordon B. Hinckley was sort of the prophet when I was younger and probably similar for you. I think we're fairly close to the same age. And his book with the gold, you know, binding on it that says standing for something has a whole different meaning to me now as a woman in the church. And it's, it's like, should we be so shocked that he knew this was coming and that we needed to lay this foundation of of being bold and standing for something. So I've got kind of a silly question here for you, Angela. What does your husband think of this about what you do? My husband is truly a man who stands and he is incredible. And I think that um, we are completely equally yoked. He's very soft-spoken and very kind, but as strong and as bold as you would find. And he is truly a man of covenant. He's a good man. Um, a lot of the work that is done at the UN and in these social issue things is driven by women, unfortunately. And so that's why it's not that he doesn't want to get involved and and actually physically go. Actually, I think sometimes the meetings can be deathly boring sometimes. (laughs) And so he probably doesn't want to, doesn't want to sit in there, you know, but um, it's women driven at the UN, a lot of the stuff. So him being a male, I don't, it doesn't always you know, he'd be in the minority. And so I don't think that that's his place, but his place is incredible support. Um, when I come, I, I mean, there's nothing more that I need is to have his support when we're tired and, and in New York coming in late into the hotel and in so tired, you want to cry. And sometimes you hear things and you learn things that I do cry. I cry myself to sleep sometimes. And I know that sounds weak, but that's a very vulnerable thing to say. It's very true. I have wept at the things that I have heard and the things that where people say, we are coming after your children and we will change them and we will take away your values and your beliefs and we're going to re- re-educate your children. And I hear about that and I think I need to just call John. I need to call him and I need to hear that, that what we're doing is mattering because we feel so outnumbered. And it is a very David and Goliath thing, but them that be with us are more than them that be with them. <laughs> However, that scripture goes, but it's so true. And so he's amazing. He he encourages me. He he helps me get over the overwhelmingness of it all. And sometimes it's uh, just he just knows when I just need a hug, and then he knows how to make me laugh. So he's he's truly a remarkable man. I have no doubt that your partner in crime is amazing and and the vulnerability of just recognizing the, the evil that prevails again testifies that this is so needed. It is so, so needed and so grateful for the ways you've op- opened our eyes on how we can start being part of this with you. Now, you talk about these things that you're hearing that again, bring you to tears and, and feeling so alone and discouraged. Um, but yet, man, you seem so fearless to me. Everything I've read that you've written and done all these things, how have you developed that fearlessness? I mean, were you born with it? Were you born with it? Or is this like, how do you feel okay when somebody's saying they're going to re-educate your kids and take them? I mean, <laughs> how have you developed that? How can we become more like that? Well, you know, I, I think it's two prong. I I have a very I have a very strong family, and all of them are spitfires. I tell you, my siblings are strong, and they are good, and they don't get pushed around with the gospel. They are have the biggest hearts you'll ever meet. But I think it just comes from 
a long line of probably a long line of strong women from the pioneer days. I mean, they, we, we come from that. And so I, and my dad growing up, he, he fought for the church. He was in fights over defending the book of Mormon and the prophet Joseph Smith. And so I think that that is in our blood, um, defending the church and defending the brethren. Um, I never heard my parents criticize the brethren. I never heard them waver their belief in the, the, the restoration of the gospel and, and all that entails. And so parents have a remarkable impact on the faith of their children. And I, I think that's a lot of where it comes from for me. And another thing that maybe sound kind of unexpected, I don't have children and I'm not as emotionally involved and it doesn't hit me as close to my heart because I do not have children so that when I go to the UN, I am able to handle those things and see them for what they are, but not let it affect me personally because I don't imagine it happening to my own children. And so I, while that, you know, we're not childless by choice, of course, but not having children has become a strange superpower at the UN for me because it, um, because I just, I don't take it as personally. Whereas I have been with mothers who, who have gone to the UN once as a part of group and they, they, they couldn't come back. They said it was too hard. And, well, it hit too close home and they just wanted to spend time strengthening their own home and their own four walls. And that is exactly where they need to be because that's where rubber meets the road. So I think that might be why it's so easy to be bold is, yeah. We have needed you on this since the day we started this podcast, Angela. Um, thank you for being so honest about um, not having children of your own. It's a emotional topic. It's a sensitive topic. It is tear filled. It is why, why, why filled in so many ways. And um, you've been open about the fact that you do not have children and that this wasn't your choice. And you seem to be in a good place now that you've, you've found it to be your superpower in a way uh, that you don't have children because of the work you're going to be able to do in the UN. Um, what about some of our listeners that may not be in that good place that you are in right now? And, and maybe they're feeling like this is not the life I signed up for. Uh, what, what kind of words of wisdom would you give them? Um, well, I, I think that starting off, we all think that we're going to have a life that turns out the way that we had hoped or planned. And I have found um, that our plans are never as good as Heavenly Father's plans for us. And for me, it was difficult. Um, and there's something about infertility that I cannot even, it, it's, it's haunting. It's so ever present and it never goes away. Even I've talked to people who have children and they say it never, that, that, that ache, they remember, they always remember that ache. Um, but I know what it's like to be in the, the why me place. Um, but I, I got the best advice from my mom once we were, we were trying to have children and I had just gone to my first appointment, first appointment with the doctor and they were like, I think that there's something wrong here. She says, Angela, she goes, I want you as you begin on, I don't know how long this journey will be. And this was years and years ago. She says, but I have seen women become bitter. And, and quite angry and, and very sad over this. And, and with, due, with, with, with all due respect, of course, 
She goes, but I want you to promise me to not go down that path. Do not allow yourself to become bitter because that is a place where you, you sometimes cannot dig yourself out of. And it's very hard to dig yourself out of. And it's very hard for members of the church in your ward to know what to, to, to really know how to, how to be with you and everything. So don't allow that. And that was the best piece of advice is just to, to trust in Heavenly Father. And through that, I knew that if he wanted us to be successful in our fertility treatments or adoption, that all the things that we've tried, um, he could have. He could have absolutely made all of that work. He has turned stones to bread. He has multiplied fishes and loaves. Of course he can and he could. But we got to the point where my husband and I said our will and our desires, if we're truly wanting to become like the Savior and, and follow Heavenly Father's plan for us, um, it's more important to put them on the altar and say, okay, this is what I wanted. I wanted a simple life. I wanted to just raise my children in a countryside on a farmhouse and just serve in the church and just do whatever. But if it, we got to the point where we, we basically said, if it is God's will that we not have children, if it's his will that we not, then I guess we're okay with it because his will is significantly more important and has a more eternal perspective than ours. And I think that it once you turn yourself over to that way of thinking, it, it seems to give you more empowerment. And it gave me more empowerment and really um, something more sustainable than than what the world offers and on message boards, on infertility chat groups or whatever, because there's a lot of powerlessness there. But when you turn your life over to Jesus Christ and, and our Heavenly Father and say, okay, teach me, tutor me, healing comes and it's incredible. But it's not easy. It's certainly not easy. And I have deep empathy because I've been there and I am there. And such powerful words from you on, you know, the perspective that you and your husband have taken and partnering with the Lord that way and trying to find purpose and, and do all those things. And and I, I don't know you super well. Uh, I feel like I know you through my online life with you. <laughs> uh, but it's so interesting to me, the the incredible halls that you walk uh you know mothers walk walk hallways of their own with um nurturing children and doing all those things and and the kind of nurturing that you are doing for children all around the world and i'm i'm anxious to see i mean i i always love to think about what is the next life going to look like and i'm anxious to see what yours looks like and what what your family looks like in those experiences and I am grateful for women like you that um, are standing in very, very important halls um, and important rooms in the world, just as, as I stand in my own walls of my home, that it is so important. And I'm grateful for your sacrifices and, and your courage through your challenges to, to fight for, for my kids, um, as well as kids around the world. So thank you. Thank you, Angela. Now, Angela, of course, you're involved in something huge like Mormon Women Stand. You're involved in United Nations International. And as if you don't have enough to do, you've got a secret up your sleeve of something else that you're involved in. Tell me about I'm dying to hear. You haven't told me about it. So tell me what this is and what is going on. Well, there's a couple things that we're doing. Um, the one of our one of my mentors, um, 
has felt that we need to change the climate of social culture for the rising generation um, by providing providing content and media and memes and articles and all, all things social, like an open source kind of platform for pro-family groups and any type of group that wants, that, that is a nonprofit that doesn't have the resources to hire a graphic designer or hire um, somebody to write articles, et cetera. So um, one of my mentors at United Families International has um, had a very inspired idea of having what they call the Story Institute, where we share stories about pro-family successes, and we share the graphics and the all the all the things that you need to basically have a campaign. And so, one of the things that we're doing right now is we found at the United Nations that this year at the Commission of Status of the Status of Women, um, which is basically like BYU Education Week for radicals. So they love it. They they all go in and they get all learned and re-educated and, and we sit there and we, we, we try to slip in the family like, please mention mothers, you know, but they don't they don't mention that. Um, they want women to be completely out separated from motherhood. So we decided as part of the Story Institute initiative was that we would create a campaign and we would create many campaigns over the next several years that would give basically a package to bloggers, to pro-family groups, um, to whoever, a package of information and a little campaign that if they want to help, they can. So our campaign this year at um, Commission of the Stat on the Status of Women is on empowering mothers. And the hashtags that we're using are hashtag let moms speak because their voices are not heard um, and they're being drowned out and hashtag empower mothers and then hashtag fight for families. So we're trying to try to launch this new campaign so that and to see how it goes. And then once that goes, we're going to do one on fathers and then another one on on marriage and then go on to other issues. And so that's what we're doing for that. Um, and this year, um, as has been the case for many years at the United Nations, United Families International takes BYU-Idaho students with us to the United Nations. So they come, they come for the week, and they have professors that come with us, and their professors are incredible. And they're the family advocacy students. And so, I mean, prior to this, I really didn't know that BYU-Idaho had a family advocacy program in the marriage and family studies section. So we've got some great professors that are coming with us, and it's the biggest group that we've had so far. And basically, we introduce them to all things United Nations, all things family, and it and we laugh together, we cry together, we stay up late. At the end of every day, we recap and we talk about what did they witness? What did you see? Do you have any questions? What did this side event, you know, there's events and then there's other side events across the street from the UN. What did you, you know, what, what did you hear? And then can you get the quotes? And so we're going to be using these students as part of the sharing the stories. And we found that there's something powerful about you can we could give all the statistics we want about the breakdown of the family and all the social issues that we're dealing with. But once you hear a story and it's personal and how it's affected somebody, that changes hearts. And so that's why we're doing the Story Institute as another side initiative is to help change the culture through stories and sharing people's stories. So that's what we're doing. And it's kind of in tandem with United Families International because we're also part of that. We're, it's, a, it's two separate things, but we're, there are people who overlap. 
And so um, it's really about helping the rising generation. And we have a passion for educating the university students because most universities nowadays are quite uh, not, not conducive to learning about um, religious freedom and the family and everything. So that's kind of where we're at. What an incredible project coming on its way. And just in, in one sentence, how can they be aware when this campaign goes live? Do they watch Mormon Women Stand? Do they go to unitedfamilies.org? Where do they find information for when it'll go live? Okay, so it's all the BYU-Idaho students um, and all of our team are going to be there at the Commission on the Status of Women from March 13th to the 25th. But the, the students are going to be posting and we're going to be doing live interviews and Facebook Live and everything the first week of CSWs at the UN. So check out unitedfamilies.org. Actually, check out the Facebook page to watch for all the updates. So United Families International, the Facebook page, you can watch live and real-time events and seeing quotes that, that will come through. And some of them you won't believe. You won't believe what's being said. And some of them may be good. We're going to try to get interviews with um, delegations and um, all the pro-family people that happen to be there. Because um, there are some, and there are some wonderful, wonderful delegations and ambassadors who are fighting strongly for the family. So watch for that Facebook page. It's actually pretty interesting to see. Wonderful. We will wait to see it go live and to see what, what increased ways you are finding to defend the family. So we are so excited. Just in closing with this incredible interview, I just feel so uplifted. I'm like, oh, let's just let's just do another round, shall we, Angela? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I wanted to close. Um, one of the things my my sister that knows you has said about you is your fierce optimism. She said you will never find one more fiercely optimistic than Angela. And I I had a message from a fellow Mormon mompreneur who wanted to ask you a question and she asked that she remained anonymous. Her first name is Lindsay. Uh, but she, she wanted to present this question to you. She um, goes into detail about how she has followed you and read every inch of your website is what she says. Lindsay says, I've read every wow. inch of your website and I am part of the movement called the cliche faith crisis. When I sit mm. down and read part of Mormon Women's Stand, I feel uplifted, I feel empowered, and I feel ready to take on the challenges of my everyday. And then I walk out the door and I feel stripped of all that I've been given. It seems like the moments that I spend diving into the gospel, nurturing my testimony and testifying to other and testifying to others is so good for my soul, period. But I can't seem to carry those feelings into my everyday life, and I find myself questioning my testimony more and more each day. Can you help me? Wow. That's probably one of the best questions I've ever had. Sincerely, I think that is, that is phenomenal. Um, phenomenal in that she is a seeker and it's obvious that she is a seeker of light and truth and wants to wants to be there but it sounds like the minute she walks out the door the world envelops and and I keep going back to Lehi's dream where where we all feel strong and we all go to that iron rod but but for some reason 
the mists of darkness seem to get people a little bit, some people more than others. And I don't know why. I don't understand why and how that happens. I keep going back to Lehi's dream. This is this is my only my only point of reference right now because I don't know her. I don't know Lindsay, and I think that she sounds wonderful. I want to be your friend. Um, but that's I think that is a tactic of the adversary. And I sincerely mean it, and I'm not being trite, I'm not being cliche, but I truly believe that anytime there is a, a, a good, wonderful Latter-day Saint woman who is a seeker of goodness and who says, I felt the spirit, I felt good, that every single time that happens, the adversary is always right there ready to cut you down. And he is ruthless and he is brutal and he will never support and the most important thing that he wants is for us to, to listen to those whisperings that cause us to, to question how we once felt. And if he can create a little gap or a little chink in our armor, he can work with that. And, it, and it's up to us to immediately shut that out and shut, shut that conversation that we're having in our mind down and, and, and say, get thee hence. Get thee hence, Satan, because those the good feelings that we have, we know that comes from Heavenly Father and the Savior Jesus Christ. But we know that all those other feelings have come from the adversary who wants nothing more than to take an LDS woman and take her away from the church and take her children into different paths because we know that it is the mother that can be the determining factor of where those children end up in the gospel a lot of the time because she is in that in that space and so i think that it's absolutely adversary and i think just shutting them off shutting them down immediately not letting those thoughts like immediately as soon as those thoughts come get get the heads get away and 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 find find a quote that that you can immediately replace it with and that would be my my thing i, I just i just have such a strong testimony of the power of light and truth and also the contrast of darkness. And I have seen dark, dark, dark darkness. And because of that, I know that there is a difference. And we have to reject the premises that the adversary gives every, every time. We have to reject him. And the more that we reject him, the more that we begin to understand how to better hear Heavenly Father's voice and better, better hear how the Spirit speaks to us. And my last... My last um, point of advice would be to only stay with faithful, and I mean faithful bloggers, and there are very few nowadays. Stay with them. And I can name specifics. I can, because I read them, because I need to know what's going on. I, I spy on them. I admit it. Because I need to know what to write to Mormon women to help them and really stay away from them, because these there are women on there that are like lions waiting to deceive. And they are walking about. Just like the scriptures say, there's a scripture in the New Testament. I can't remember if it's in Thessalonians, but it says that the adversary walks around like a lion and wait to deceive. And you can just see a lion walking and quietly just waiting to pounce at that little gap, that little tiny gap in your testimony. And he is there. But he also uses other people to be his lions, to jump in and just wait for that moment where you are down and that's where he cuts you down. And so I say, remove those blogs from your email feed, clear them from your history, never 
go back to those blogs and do not listen to those the words from people who claim membership in the church who are not necessarily living the covenants and living by the spirit and listen to the brethren and and hang on to the words of our women leaders and and use them as your examples don't use some blog that is anonymous or uses a fake name or or whatnot hang on to the women if if that's all you've got to look for right now i have no doubt that Lindsay is thrilled there's nothing like getting a personal message from someone you deeply admire and I will also take those words of advice of get the hints and to be so careful on the sources of truth that we're allowing into our lives. It is the time we live in that we have to be so careful. Gone are the days of um, a purposeful life, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. So I'm just so grateful, Angela, for your words. And I am especially grateful because our listeners can be more in touch with you. And the ways that they can connect with you and your mission and not feel alone as a strong, faithful woman in the church. Now, the ways to connect with Angela and her projects and her the organizations that she's a part of would be to go to Facebook and search for Mormon Women Stand. And you'll immediately have 50,000 more friends, which is exciting. Congratulations on that. Um, and we are equally excited to have learned more about the United Families International. And if moms want to get involved with that, they can go to unitedfamilies.org. And that is a great way for them to immediately get in touch with those resources. And last but not least, we may put you on the spot, Angela, to ask you about some of your favorite bloggers that you feel would uplift these women who are searching for more um, we'll just put it in the in the blog post when we publish your podcast that those would be blogs that they could follow and, and feel the spirit because we need we can't just get rid of the bad as you've said we need to replace it with light and bring more power to ourselves so Angela thank you again so much for your time and joining us on the Mormon Mompreneur podcast thank you for having me Thank you for joining us on the Mormon Mompreneur podcast. Check out our other episodes and learn from other women of faith, motherhood, and business as they share their unique stories and experiences. Go to www.mormonmompreneur.com or the iTunes store to learn more.